Hi, my name is Christy, and you're listening to a public podcast. If you want more information about anything going on here at Public Church, visit our website, publicchurch.com. Thanks for listening. Man, what a great start to the four o'clock. You know, as Nathan said in hosting, this is our final four o'clock before the summer hits. So could we just on three have a collective awe and just mourn that moment? Ready? One, two, three. Aww. Okay, now the, the good side is we really hope that a lot of you guys that serve, this creates more opportunity and time for you to be with family and friends and a, a sort of break for the summer. But our heart all day has been that we want to end this you know, semester of three gatherings with a bang, and we're doing that as we continue our series called Beyond. And really the heart of Beyond is that there's always more going on than we can see, and so we choose to look beyond what others get stuck on. An example of that is I'm reading this book, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge by Clay Scroggins. It's a phenomenal book. And the thing about this book is he gives a scenario that I think resonates with all of us. And a scenario of, hey, what do you do when you have a boss that is less than ideal or terrible, whichever word you want to throw in there. If you have a terrible boss in the room, please do not like point or make eye contact like you're awkward, but just nod if, you know, if you're with me. Anybody live through this? Your boss is not like everything you would be if you were the boss. We'll just say it that way. And so a lot of times in that situation, we feel stuck and we feel like our growth and our development is stunted because of the flawed leader that we serve under. And so Clay proposes, what if we look beyond what everyone else gets stuck on? And what if we realize that as we work under that terrible leader, then we get to see all the wrong ways to do things. And we have a chance to learn how not to lead. And in addition, we have an opportunity to learn how to lead ourselves well in a less than ideal situation. So what he says is, let's take the panoptic view. I had to look that up. And it means that we consider all the factors and that we look at it and say, man, there's more going on than I can see. So I'm going to choose to learn from this situation and grow from it instead of just throwing in the towel and waiting on a new boss or new job or new opportunity. And that's just an example to help us see that that's really where we're going in this series, that we choose to look beyond what everyone else is stuck on. And within that, we are also launching our Beyond Project with the following vision, that we create spaces where Jesus impacts people beyond the room. And that's really our heart. And, you know, in a building project, which this is, that's a building project, a lot of times it's easy for us to get stuck on just the building. What we're choosing to do is, yes, we are building, but we're going to not get stuck on. Instead, we're going to look beyond just the building. In fact, when we had our first meeting with our architects, we really wanted to let them know like, who, we were, who we are. And so we gave them a document that had several sections, who we are and where we're going and why we believe it's time to build now. And under the where we're going section, we, we put this statement. We aren't in the construction business. We're in the people business. And when we make room for people, we make room for Jesus to change lives. And so that's our heart in this. Yes, we are building a building, but the ultimate heart behind this is to reach people. A way we're saying it is that we create opportunities and, and, and excuse me, we create spaces that create opportunities, spaces for people, for us to encounter Jesus and opportunities for Jesus to change lives. So we choose to look beyond what everyone else is stuck on and realize that it's more than just building a building. It's an opportunity to reach more people. And I love the phrase 
that's at the end of our vision for the Beyond Project, that Jesus impacts people beyond the room. And really, that's our heart tonight, that as we enter the four, that what happens inside the room would change our lives outside the room. And in order for us to lean into this opportunity that we have to be changed by Jesus, we're going to ask one question and lean into it. And the question we're asking tonight is this, why a public church? Why a public church? And one of the things I love about this question is that under it are layers of other questions that you may have asked. Questions like this, why in the world do we need to expand? Or what's so unique about a public church? Or you may think about this, you know, what Jesus is doing in Cleveland is so much bigger than just us, and it is. So how does a public church fit into all that Jesus is doing among churches in Cleveland? Those are great questions, all layered under our overarching question of why a public church? And I think this question is beneficial to all of us, whether we follow Jesus or not. Because if you rolled into the four and you don't follow Jesus, then here's the opportunity you have in front of you. You get to hear why we follow him. And you get to hear why we are giving our lives away to develop a public church. And we hope that when you hear our why, that you will want to follow Jesus just like we are. And for those of us who are already following him, here's the opportunity we have tonight. Opportunity to reject the consumer mindset that plagues so many people who sit in the seats that you're sitting in that I'm gonna show up to church and I'm, I'm gonna come for what's in it for me and it's about me and I'm just gonna consume and not worry about contributing. No, we have an opportunity tonight to begin to reject that mindset if that's where we're at and to see what it means to embrace our role in building Jesus's public church. So what an opportunity, what a great question that truly impacts our lives. And so to help answer that question, we're discussing Nehemiah, a phenomenal leader who wasn't building a church, but he was building a wall. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter two. You can turn or click there. And for those of you who've been around for a while, come on, people, you had to know Nehemiah was coming. Like, like he's my favorite. You had to know we're not getting through talking about building without me sliding in Nehemiah somewhere. Like, like I said before, and I'll say it again, like when I grow up, I want to be Nehemiah. That's true. Like I love this guy. So you just kind of had to know it's coming and he's going to come back around I and mean, he's going to be a recurring figure in our gatherings. Love the guy. And the thing about Nehemiah is, you know, he just sets such a strong example for us. And look, I realize that not all of you geek out on Nehemiah like I do. Now, I don't understand why you don't. I mean, he's awesome. But I know you're not all geeking out about him like me. So let me give you a little bit of background on him. Nehemiah was a Jew who was serving as the cupbearer to the Persian king. Now, the cupbearer's role was he would taste the wine or whatever the drink was before the king tasted it to make sure that the king wasn't getting poisoned. So if somebody's trying to poison the king, who's dying? He is, okay? So you're like, oh, he lives in the palace. True, he lives in luxury, but his job's kind of dangerous. But we also know that this means he was very trustworthy. Because you're the king, who do you not want double-crossing you? The cupbearer. If he double-crosses you, game over, you're done. So Nehemiah is in this very trustworthy position as cupbearer to the king of Persia. And he gets word that back in his homeland, the capital city of Jerusalem is in ruins without a wall. Here's how that translates into our modern day setting. This would be the equivalent of you or I living in a high crime neighborhood with no doors in our house. So like there's no doors in our house. We call the cop and we're like, hey, this guy broke 
He didn't really break in. He just kind of walked in. And he's holding me at gunpoint and taking all my stuff. And the guy's like, hey, thanks. Just stay right there. I'll shoot you. You know, I'm just going to walk through and get all your stuff. I mean, you are so vulnerable to being robbed and somebody harming you or harming your family. And that's the situation that Jerusalem is. It's really a place of just disgrace. And so Nehemiah, Nehemiah feels like, man, I have to do something about it. And he receives a God-given vision. And as we think about Nehemiah's answer to his question, which is, why rebuild the wall? We're going to begin to see answers to our question of why a public church. So we'll begin in verse 9. It says, then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. To fully understand verse 9, we need to back up a little bit because when Nehemiah is first presented the problem, he takes action by getting on his knees and praying. The first thing he does is he prays to the God of heaven and asks God, would you do what I cannot do? I think a lot of times, one of our biggest issues is that we don't view prayer as action. And Nehemiah would say, no, 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 there's no dichotomy there. It's not like you pray and then you act. He said, no, prayer is the first action. And so we need to follow his example. And we need to get on our knees and be praying about the Beyond Project and praying about where Jesus is taking us. And in fact, a whole lot of us have. In 2019, we've had this prayer challenge for our church, that we would pray Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, once a week, every week, for the entire year. And as we've been praying that, here's what God is now doing. We've been praying for immeasurably more, and now he's inviting us to step into immeasurably more through the Beyond Project. So we need to, again, imitate Nehemiah's example. We've started praying, but then if you read the whole book of Nehemiah, which I highly recommend, he continues to pray throughout it. It's not like chapter one, pray, and then move on. No, no, he prays and prays and prays, and throughout this depends on the limitless power of his God and our God. And then in chapter two, it begins with Nehemiah doing something really, really important, which is respecting the authority that has been put over him. He goes to the king and he asks permission to take a leave from his job and go back and engage in rebuilding this wall in the capital city of his homeland. And just know this, sometimes we kind of get ahead of ourselves and we're frustrated by the people that are over us. And we may think, okay, God's called me to do this. And I'm just gonna go do it. And Nehemiah says, I know actually he sets a pattern for us to follow that God's never gonna give us a vision that causes us to dishonor those in authority over us. Now, we may disagree with them. We may have to have tough conversations, but we do not dishonor them. And so Nehemiah honors, he respects the king. And as we read about in verse nine, it's crazy. The king blesses him with protection as he goes on his journey. So everything's going pretty well until we get to verse 10. When Sambalot, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Look, displeased them greatly. This is kind of crazy. Here's what it means. They were miserable on the inside to think that someone might be advocating for the Jews. Like, how angry and full of hate do you have to be that Nehemiah shows up to... to work for the welfare of the Jews, and they're like miserable, like, oh, it makes me sick on the inside that you're trying to make their lives better. Like, that is crazy. But here's what it means to us. It means that opposition accompanies action. 
You know, last week, if you were here with us, when we began the series, we talked about a scene in Jesus' life when Peter walked on the water. And the big idea from last week is that we step out of the boat and into Jesus's immeasurably more. But here's the thing, when Peter stepped out of the boat and into Jesus's immeasurably more, it was in the midst of a storm. And Nehemiah confirms that if we're gonna follow Jesus, if we're gonna step into the immeasurably more he has for us, opposition accompanies action, we're gonna be stepping out in the midst of a storm. But here's the great news. There's no storm, there's no critic, there's no opponent that can stop God's plan. Anybody excited about that tonight? And so as we step out, and no matter how big the waves are, no matter how loud the critics are, no matter how fierce our opponents are, man, God is greater. And just like Nehemiah, we can say, you're not stopping me from my great work because I have the power of the God of heaven flowing in me, and it's his vision that I'm following. So Nehemiah just moves forward in spite of them. In verse 11, it says, So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. And then I rose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I wrote. So here's what's happening. Nehemiah is now, he's going to go investigate, and he doesn't tell anyone. And when I first read this, I'm like, man, this is weird. Like, why isn't he telling anyone? Why is he so secretive? And here's the reality. If we tell our friends our plans too soon, we're also telling our enemies our plans too soon. And Nehemiah knew that the whole rebuilding project was most vulnerable right now before he could fully make the plan, before he could fully get the strategy in place. So wisely, he decided not to tell anyone because if we tell our friends too soon, we're also telling our opponents too soon. And so he goes out at night so he can do his research undisturbed, which is what verse 13 says. So I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. See, he's researching. That word inspected means he's investigating. And as he's investigating, he's making a plan. It says, then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. In other words, they're going and it's so bad. It's just so bad that, that the animal can't even pass through. Like this place is in ruins. And then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. And I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. Now, doesn't this sound kind of epic? Isn't it cool? Like, wouldn't you want to be part of Nehemiah's little special forces team? It's like secret if nobody knows. It's dark, we're gonna sneak out and we're gonna go through the city and we're gonna inspect everything and make our plan and you go to the first gate and that's cool and you go to the next gate, the Nehemiah's like, and now let's go to the dung gate. The, the, the what gate, Nehemiah? You know, the one you smell over there, the poop gate, like the poop gate. This isn't so cool anymore. Can I resign and just go back and like make sure nobody takes our stuff? You know, but this is what they were doing. And they inspect everything. And it says in verse 16, and the officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. See, Nehemiah, he's assured of his vision. Yet he refrains from speaking until he has physically assessed the enormity of the project and prayerfully counted the cost. And for the past couple of years, that's what our elder team and some of our leaders have been doing. We've been in a research phase where we've been able to physically assess the enormity of the project and prayerfully count the cost. 
And now we're at a place where we're able to say, hey, here's the plan and let's talk about it. And what's cool is now we get to invite you into the research process. See, we've had three, we're having three opportunities. The first one happened on Tuesday night for different groups in our church to be able to come and ask questions and dig in and investigate. And the first one's marked out because it happened last Tuesday night in this space. Our leaders had a great conversation about the Beyond Project. This Tuesday night, you can come in this very room and have a chance to investigate and hear more details and ask questions and do the research part of this process for yourself. And then both during and after the series, I'm going to be visiting community groups to give those people that are connected through community groups an opportunity to go deeper and ask those questions as well. So this is your opportunity to get in on this research process that we've been going through. And here's what we've discovered as we've researched. We've come down to three phases. So phase one, and the Beyond Project. I'm just so excited about this. We're gonna have a brand new worship space, a place for us to worship, and new and redesigned area for both sprouts and roots. So mamas, here's some good news. You're no longer gonna have to put your precious babies in a building next door, but it's all gonna be connected. Any mamas in the house excited about that? Okay, maybe one or two of them. It's okay if you've never taken your kids to Roots, it's next door. But, you know, like this is phenomenal for us, a great step that we have for families. And you know the group in our church that's praying hardest for phase one to happen? Public students. Why? Because when we move out, they move into this space. They're like, Jesus, would you please move and get these old people out? We want this room. I mean, they're ready for this. Phase two is even better for families as we have more space for sprouts and roots in their own worship area. And then phase three, public students are really praying hard for this because as we have an admin wing, then this whole building becomes theirs. You're talking about some middle schoolers and high schoolers that are excited about this and they're wanting this. So these are the phases that have come out of our research that we're so excited about. And as we've researched, our giving strategy is called One Fund. And here's simply what one fund means. It means that when you give through push pay or when we write checks, like any, I write checks, but you know, I know it may be a minority. And if you don't know what a check is, just ask someone over 30 and they'll explain it afterwards. But when we give, we don't have to designate anything because all of our giving goes to bringing all of the vision of public church to life, including the Beyond Project. So that's where we come through the research. And again, we invite you into that process starting even this Tuesday night with our Beyond Conversation. And so for Nehemiah, he did the research and now he was time to talk about, now he's ready to talk about the problem in verse 17. He says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. So here's basically what Nehemiah says. He's got everybody together and he's like, okay, turn around, look, look. Look, look, look. This place is a wreck, people. It's terrible. It's disgraceful. Like, look, see all the disgrace and ruins that surround us. And so they can visibly see the problem. And so then he casts the vision. He says, come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. A clear vision. We're going to rebuild the wall and the why we need to rebuild the wall so we no longer have to suffer derision. That word means disgrace. It means shame. See, it was shameful to be so vulnerable and unprotected without a wall. And this is a talk for another day. We don't have time to get into it. But also it was shameful because 
without a wall, they could not fully fill their role in God's story. So Nehemiah invites them into a vision. He says, come, let's go on a journey where we rebuild. And here's what's going to happen. We're going to rebuild a wall, and then we're going to get rid of shame. What a vision. If I was there, I would have followed him. But what's incredible is that I think the vision that Jesus is inviting us into is even more compelling than that. The vision of the Beyond Project is that we create spaces where Jesus impacts people beyond the room. And I love that Nehemiah casts the vision with this word. He starts and says, come, because it's a journey. So Jesus is saying to us, hey, come, come, let's create spaces where Jesus impacts people beyond the room. And you're like, well, what's the problem that we're solving with this vision? I'm glad you asked. If you've been in Cleveland for any length of time or you're just perceptive and haven't been here very long, you've probably picked up on the fact that in Cleveland, a lot of people are living dual lives. Here's what I mean by this. There's this lie that's really infiltrated our town that Jesus, church, the label Christian, it's limited to just an hour, an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday. That, that we just show up to this place and we kind of do our Christian thing. And then the rest of the life, man, it's your life and it's my life. And I can do whatever I want the rest of the time. And it's called being a hypocrite. It's called being one thing at the four o'clock and something different on Tuesday night. And as we dig deeper into that problem, this dual lives that people are living, you, you know, the fallout from that is that people have seen us live these dual lives and they've said, I'm out. And they've walked away from Jesus. Because here's what they do. They show up, they see us here, and they're like, man, you're one way at the four, but you're just the exact same as I am on Tuesday night or Friday night or Saturday. So why would I follow your Jesus if there's no evidence of true life change? And so people have walked away. As we dig deeper in the problem, here's the other problem. When we limit Jesus to a time and location, then we don't take the story to the people in Cleveland who've never heard the story of Jesus. There's people here like that. I think we may forget that, but there are people in our city who don't know that Jesus was God in a body. They don't know that God came to earth and we called him Jesus and he lived a perfect life. And then despite his innocence, he went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins because all of us have sinned. All of us have seen clearly God's way and chosen our own way. And all of us have said, you know what? This choice is better for you, but I'm gonna do what's better for me even though it harms you because I don't care about you. And that's also called sin when I put me above anyone else at their expense. We've all done that. And Jesus went to the cross to pay our consequences. And we hear the cross, sometimes, you know, we're just like, oh yeah, it's the cross. No, the Romans who crucified him had perfected crucifixion as this incredibly cruel implement of execution. Like, like they were incredible at killing people and inflicting as much pain as possible through the cross. And Jesus did that for you and for me. But then that's not the end of the story. Then he rose from the dead, conquering death and letting us know that he can conquer anything in our world. Even death could not hold him. That's the greatest story ever told, isn't it? I mean, there are people, people who've never heard it. And as a result, when we really dig down to the bottom level of the problem, it means there are people that are settling for less than the immeasurably more that God has for them. 
And look, it breaks my heart to see people settling, but can you imagine the creator, God's response? How, how brokenhearted he has to be to see people made in his image who are settling for less than all he has planned for them. What a tragedy. What, what a problem. Here's the great news. We have the answer. The answer is very simple, that Jesus is the more we long for. Jesus is the more that we long for. All of those desires, everything we're searching for, everything that others are looking for, and they run to this, and they run to that, and they're just constantly empty. Man, Jesus is it. Jesus is the more we long for. And how does a public church work into this? Man, our vision, which is develop a public church that invites people to embrace the journey of following Jesus, our vision, if we just live it out, it will naturally broadcast to the world that Jesus is the more that we long for. Here's some things that a public church does. A public church rejects the lie of dual lives because a public church invites people to build and deepen authentic relationships. And by authentic, not that I'm perfect, but that I'm consistently the same here at the four and Tuesday night and Wednesday night and Saturday afternoon, that I am the same person and there's no more of these dual lives. And that's why community groups are so huge that we get in community beyond this gathering where we can practice what it means to be authentic. Here's what else a public church does. A public church serves through partnerships to foster sustainable change. I mean, Nathan and Hosting talked about our trip to Romania. We have an incredible partnership with our Romanian family. And the thing about fostering sustainable change is that both parties improve. For example, I am better because of my time with our Romanian family. Because here's something that Horia, the pastor, has taught me. He's taught me to say no to better opportunities in order to follow where Jesus is leading. Like, if we all looked at the choices where he has made in his life, we'd be like, you're crazy, man. You said no to some better opportunities, some opportunities that all of us would say, man, on paper, that looks like the best decision, but here's what Horia knows. That Jesus is measurably more is always better than those better opportunities that we see. And he's chosen Jesus is measurably more over what everyone else says he should have done. Man, that, that impacts me. That impacts how I make decisions, and I'm better from Horia's example. But also, we are able to serve them. See, last year, we began to implement this curriculum called Orange. And I know when I say curriculum, you're like, that's why I came to the four. Come on, preach it. Let's talk about curriculum. I'm in. Yeah, it's going to be quick. Just stay with me. But one of the biggest reasons that we chose Orange was because of the parent resources that it had, the way that it helps us empower and equip parents to teach their children what it means to follow Jesus, not just here on our campus, but at home. And so what that means is that as a public church, man, we're equipping, we're empowering parents to go home and teach their children how to follow Jesus, to teach their children what it means to follow Jesus when they're driving to school and when their kid comes home from school and has had a bad day to teach them what it means to pray through these things. And we're helping equip parents in Cleveland to do that. But guess who else uses orange? Our partner church in Romania. And we get to pay for it. Isn't that incredible? that on our dime, when we renew it, they get orange. And so we're not only equipping and empowering parents in Cleveland, we're doing that well beyond Cleveland and Chernavoda. All the way there, man, we are building families. Is that not crazy, incredible? The measurably more that we get to step into. 
I just absolutely love it. And then I think about this. A public church offers hope that extends beyond our time on earth. You know, too many people, maybe some of us, are struggling to hold on to hope. Or maybe you just let go. Maybe it's that tragedy that just wrecked your world. Maybe it's a battle with something like depression. Maybe it's that unforeseen adversity that you didn't see coming, just bam, it hits you. You know, we're all fighting these battles. Perhaps it's that addiction that just makes you feel hopeless. Yeah, there's no way out of this pit. And we get to tell people that in Jesus and only in Jesus is the true, lasting freedom that brings us real hope. Jesus is the more that we long for. And a public church gives us opportunities to practice serving on this campus. Think about this. We get to sign up for and serve on teams where we can show up on a Sunday and literally hone our craft. And the areas that we're gifted, we can improve in those areas by serving, being scheduled to serve. And what that means is then when we leave campus and it's no longer practice time, but it's game time and we're at home or we're at work and we're in our spheres of influence. Now we've been trained to leverage our gifts, to impact people for the name of Jesus. That's what a public church does. That's the ways that we are just broadcasting to the world that Jesus is the more that we all long for. So why a public church? Because a public church, if we just naturally live out our vision, man, we're teaching people that Jesus and following him is an everyday, every moment thing. Because anytime we begin to limit Jesus, we immediately start to settle. Anytime we put a box around him and put him in a time or location, we immediately start to settle. But a public church, man, we're just broadcasting the world that Jesus is the more that we long for. And what that means is when we see that Jesus impacts every moment, our whole lives explode with meaning. The job that you don't want to be at, when we're stuck in a line at Walmart, anybody with me on that one and don't want to be there? The situations we choose, the situation we don't choose, man, every single one of those moments is a divinely arranged opportunity to point someone to Jesus. So in the situations that we love and in the situations that we hate, there's one question we've got to continually ask. Jesus, who did you put me here for? Man, that, when you ask that question, your whole life just begins to explode in meaning. And finally, when our situation on earth gets worse and worse, when it's just not getting better here, a public church teaches us to continue embracing the journey of following Jesus because it will all be worth it when we leave this world and enter heaven. Heaven, a space where all our soul level desires will be satisfied in Jesus. I mean, on earth through our relationship with Jesus, we get a taste of justice. We get a taste of restoration. We get a taste of peace and satisfaction. And these soul level desires, we get a taste. But in heaven, we don't just get taste. We get an all you can eat, never running out buffet where we can fully experience all the more that we long for through, here's what we get in heaven, an unhindered relationship with Jesus. That's what we get. So no matter how bad it is, we have a hope beyond this world. Man, that is great news. 
And that's what our vision naturally broadcasts to the world. What an opportunity we have to be a part of building Jesus' public church. So where Nehemiah goes next is exactly where we need to go. In verse 18, he says this, and I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise and build. Here's what Nehemiah says next. He answers this question. Well, why should we act now? Why is it time to rebuild now? And Nehemiah says, hey, there's more going on than you can see. So let's choose to look beyond what everyone else is stuck on. And he said, I think if he was with us, he said, can I just tell you what the king did? Because here's what the king did. The Persian king helped finance Nehemiah's personal rebuilding project in his capital city where he lost one of his most loyal workers, the cupbearer, in order to go back and rebuild the swall. Like, this is nuts. This is not fiscally responsible. It is not a wise decision for the king to go, sure, you can have a leave of absence from work, and here, here's protection and a whole bunch of money to just finance this project that does me absolutely no good. But the fact that the king did that showed that God was working in supernatural ways. And you may wonder, well, why should we build now? Because if we look at our story, we began as a church in January of 2014, and Leading up to that date, we thought that we might get this property and that door closed, and so we started meeting at Bradley with no thoughts of meeting anywhere besides Bradley, but four months in, we were given this entire campus, check this out, for free. And the crazy thing about that, you may say, well, how do we get it? Well, the sad side of it is that the church had died, but here's the hopeful side of it that Jesus took what was dead and he's been breathing life into it ever since. And we get to be a part of an ongoing restoration on this piece of property. Is that not incredible? Yeah, thank you. I think it's amazing. And honestly, I think it gets even better when we realize that as we renovated this building and as we moved in on January or July 26, 2015, that here's what God already knew. He knew that this day would come, the Beyond Project would be here, and he knew that we would need to build. And so here's what he gave us, not just a building and like 100 yards on each side of it. He gave us six plus acres in the middle of Cleveland. So when it was time to rebuild, we don't have to, re, or time to build, we don't have to relocate, but we can just maximize the land that he had already provided for us because God is moving in ways that we can't even see. And he invites us to follow him. Why, why build now? Because we're not just looking at what's going on in this room. We're looking at the fact that in Sprouts, we need more space. I don't know if you realized it, but there are a whole bunch of people pregnant around here. Like, like men, if you don't want your wives to get pregnant, don't let them drink the water. There's something going on here. But the point is, we're growing through babies, but we're also growing because we're inviting people, and sometimes we fail to invite people, and Jesus brings them here anyway, and we need more space for our kids. Roots could do so much more if we could move them out of the annex and move them to the upstairs of this building. Public students can do so much more. We get to move them out of the annex and move them into here. We're looking beyond the room, and there are all these reasons that now is the time to build. So the question is, will we like Nehemiah's people, have this mindset. Yes, let us rise and build. And what I love about this phrase is if you dig into the Hebrew, it's not talking about a one time, I'm gonna rise and build one time. It's talking about a habitual action, continually. I'm gonna rise and build, and I'm gonna rise and build, and I'm gonna rise and build. And that's exactly what Jesus is inviting us into. 
And so three ways that we can rise and build. The first way is through a generosity percentage increase. Here's the challenge. That all of us would look at our generosity and we would ask Jesus how we could increase our giving by percentage, check this out, for the rest of the year. You know it would be easier for us? To have a one-time isolated gift. Just a one-time gift with nothing else attached to it. Bring it, we can give and forget about this whole thing and move on. But Jesus isn't inviting us to rise and build once. He's inviting us to build habits of generosity. That during this series, we decide, okay, my giving's going up by 2% or 5% or maybe for some of you, 20%. And you're not just doing that in May, you're doing that in August and October and December and hopefully this habit has been cultivated. So on your own, in December you're going, okay Jesus, now how much do you want me to increase my generosity in 2020? Because the habit of rising and building has been cultivated. And to build momentum for that, we are doing a one-time gift to end this series on May 19th. And no, man, it is gonna be a celebration on that day. And that one-time gift is not this isolated thing. It's part of this overall habit of generosity and increasing our generosity. So that could be as simple as you saying, hey, you know what, Jesus has led me to increase my generosity by 7%. So I'm just gonna save that 7% for May and I'm gonna bring it all on May 19th as we celebrate and kickstart this thing with some momentum. And then finally, if, if we're gonna look beyond the building, and if we're truly gonna be a part of developing a public church, that means that we need to practice by worshiping, connecting, and serving on campus so that when phase one is built, that we're not walking in the door the same person that we are today on May 5th, 2019, but that we're walking in as somebody who from now to then has been practicing and practicing and practicing, and we are different when we walk in that door. I mean, think about it like this. You could be part of our first impressions team that after our gatherings takes out the trash. And look, you may be sitting here and please wives don't like, you know, embarrass your husband at this point, but you may be somebody who's never taken out the trash at home or you may just not serve at home. It just may, hey, I'm tired. This is not what I do. And man, you could practice taking out the trash and practice serving here to cultivate the attitude of a servant at home. And we had some wives, the 11, I thought we we're gonna lose their minds. They were like, can we do a whole series on that called Take Out the Trash? Praise the name of Jesus, you know? But that's the opportunity we have. And even in the midst of this opportunity, we know just like for Nehemiah, there's gonna be opposition. Verse 19, when Sambalot the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Gesem the Arab heard of it. They jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? In other words, are you trying to set up your own kingdom? That's a question people are gonna ask of us. Are you rebelling against King Jesus and trying to set up the public church kingdom? The answer is no. It's one of the beautiful things about a public church. A public church complements other churches rather than competing. Look, we don't grow in spite of other churches. We grow alongside other churches. As evidence of this, a few weeks ago, Cody Disney, our worship pastor, met with another local church who's rebranding. Because if, if you know any of our story, we changed our name a few years ago. And so look, if you're gonna rebrand something, our first advice is don't do it. Our second advice is if you do it, we can help you. But man, what an honor for Cody to be able to help that church take the next step into their immeasurably more. And I remember a meeting I had with who I consider my pastor, Dr. J, who sent Whitney and I out to be a part of this. 
And Dr. J asked me to go to lunch, and he basically said, hey, y'all do this really well, and I got a question. I said, good, because you do this really well, and I got a question. And we were able to complement and work together as we build the kingdom of Jesus. So the final thought is, what side of Nehemiah 2.20 are we going to come down on? Verse 20 says, he looks at the critics, the opponents, and he says, I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build. But you, you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. I love Nehemiah's response. He says, you know what? This is God's vision and he's gonna bring it to life. What God originates, he orchestrates so we can trust God. Phase one's gonna happen. Phase two's gonna happen. Phase three's gonna happen. Immeasurably more is gonna happen. We cannot stop the plans and vision of Jesus. And we, his servants, will rise and build. Otherwise, here's the other side of verse 20. You have no right or claim or portion. When I think about portion, I think about a mill with a good portion size. To be honest, I think about Trace Romanos. Anybody with me? I see that, Caleb. Control yourself. When I think about nachos. I mean, they just have such good toppings. Mm. If I skip the last two songs, it's because I'm at Trace. I'm sorry. But I think about just that portion. And there's just plenty for me to enjoy. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into. His immeasurably more. We're here. God has made a feast and he invites us to take a seat and eat. He says, man, I'm the more you long for. So step in to the measurably more. But if we refuse to rise and build, then what we're doing is we're pushing that back and we're saying, I'm gonna forfeit my portion. So when we move into phase one, you may be here, probably won't. But if you are here, you'll be critical and you'll be kind of sitting on the edge. And you'll be going, man, all these people are celebrating because they have a portion in that. And they've been walking in immeasurably more, but I'm the same person or I, I just haven't engaged and, and I'm left on the outside looking in with no portion. And at that moment, we're settling again. And we've circled back and fell into the trap of the problem that public church exists to solve of knowing that Jesus is the more that we long for, so we don't have to settle. So will we rise and build? As public worship comes up, just, just think about this. <laughs> we're not building a wall that's one day gonna fall. Yes, we're building a building, but, but that's gonna fade. Here's ultimately what we get to build. Jesus's church the one thing that will last throughout eternity. I'm not gonna be honest, if I was around in Nehemiah's time, I would have been first in line following him. His vision was compelling, but our vision is more compelling, that we get to build the church of Jesus. What an honor. So let's rise and build. Let's take the portion that God has for us and walk in his immeasurably more. So, so why a public church? Because Jesus is the more we long for. And a public church broadcasts that to the world. So as public church, as public worship leads us in two songs, take a moment and reflect. What does it look like 
for you to rise and build, to think about a generosity percentage increase, to think about that one-time gift to end the series, to think about how you can practice by worshiping, connecting, and serving on campus so you're ready for game time when you're off campus. Let's think about those things and let's rise and build Jesus' church. Jesus, I just thank you for the story of Nehemiah. (laughs) What an example he is for us. And Jesus, if, if the people in his, in Jerusalem and the people following him, man, if they can get fired up to build a wall, man, could we just get fired up to build your church, Jesus? To be a part of developing a public church where we are changed. I pray that you would give us vision to look beyond what everyone's stuck on. They wouldn't just be focused on a building, but we would be growing and others would be growing with us and show us what that looks like to rise and build. And Jesus, if there's someone now that needs to be prayed over, if there's someone now that wants to follow you, I pray that they would have the courage to go talk to our prayer team person at the back door and take that step, knowing that you, Jesus, are the more that we long for.